Hey guys, this is Liz Kelly here to tell you about some changes to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box with Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker is moving into its very own feed and will now be coming to you twice a week. So to keep up with the media's biggest news stories, from sports to politics to everything in between, subscribe to The Press Box on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and look for new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Hello, and welcome to another, and the final, for now, episode of The Recapables Billions. I am your host, Allison Herman, and joining me once again on the other line, it is Ringer staff writer and professional Wendy Rhodesologist, Kate Nibbs. Hello. Kate, it is so good to have you back, and it is so good to have you back to discuss this episode, Extreme Sandbox, which was co-written by show creators and showrunners Brian Koppelman and David Levine and directed by Colin Buxey. And this is obviously the last episode of season four, which means a lot of stuff was resolved, a lot of stuff was set up, and, you know, before we air our tweet-length reviews, I'll just, like, run through the plot really quickly which is we begin a Medias race with Chuck strung up in a bondage contraption, but he's not ready for it because there's scheming to do. Wendy and Rebecca do some self-care with excavators, which doesn't really soften the blow once Axe reveals that he's torching their relationship and Sailor's Department Store at the same time with the help of smarmy sexist Stanford Bensinger, no less. Chuck reveals the development scheme, as we guessed, was an effort to entrap Connerty and Jock Jeffcoat all along, successfully, Axe strong-arms Taylor into rejoining Axe Capital by loading up their appliance company with toxic debt, then having Chuck cook up an insider trading charge for leverage. Except, surprise, Chuck is back to hating Axe again and wants Taylor to be his person on the inside. Once Wendy realizes Axe is the only one who tried to bail her out with the medical board, who gave her just a warning, their marriage is over and Chuck's got nothing left to lose. He is quite literally ready for a beating. So, just a lot of stuff clearly happened that gives us a glimpse of season five and put season four pretty conclusively to rest. Kate, what was your tweet length review of this episode? My tweet length review is that the Billions boys set up some pretty good traps for their enemies and frenemies in this episode, but most importantly, they set up a far more interesting conflict for next season. I think a lot of this season, they gave us a red herring and hinted that it might be Axe and Chuck versus Taylor and Wendy. And -hmm. now we have this new alliance not really, or kind of a one-sided alliance, I guess, between Chuck and Taylor against, I suppose, Axe and Wendy. So is that, like, what you're excited to see more of next season? Yeah, I feel like this season faltered a little bit with the Taylor versus Axe uh, conflict being the main conflict, and I'm excited to see it get back to Axe versus Chuck. Yeah, this season felt very transitional to me, especially in retrospect. My tweet-length review was like, that was a really fun season-long diversion. Back to the main premise we go. I think it was Mm -hmm. very obvious to anyone who knows this show or saw the season one promotional art that Axe versus Chuck is the defining arc of the series and an alliance was only ever going to be a stopgap so that they could do some fun side projects. And now we're rerouted back to that. And also we had a lot of temporary antagonists that it seemed like this season was mostly dedicated to clearing out of the way. So first we had Grigor Andalov on Axe's side, who was out by like episode four. And then we had Jock Jeffcoat on Chuck's side, who appears to be like pretty conclusively out of the picture. Shout out to Clancy Brown. That was like a great guest run. But 
I don't think this season was dedicated to a lot of stuff that was going to be particularly impactful to the Billions long game. So it's interesting and promising, I think, to see them pivot back to, like, the elemental conflict of the whole show. I agree. I mean, as much as I enjoyed um, Malkovich's Russian accent, I'm psyched for where they're headed, I think. Yeah. I also didn't even necessarily think a lot of the work they did to get here was necessarily all that convincing. Like, we can talk about this later, but Chuck suddenly deciding that Axe is once again the source of all his problems and he needs to go after him didn't really, like, read particularly, like— sensically to me in the context of all those other character choices this season. But at the same time, part of me is like, I don't really care. The show has established very well that they're basically like the same person down to in this episode. They both like hit self-destruct on their relationships very consciously. I just want to see them kind of going at each other because that's when Jamadi and Lewis appear to be having the most fun. Yeah, I agree. I think that the sudden turn, the decision that he hated X did seem to come a little bit out of nowhere, but I'm fine with it. Like, I'm just, I'm ready to accept it. And I think that, well, we can talk about the the foreshadowing of the Wendy X relationship in more detail later, but I think that if that happens, that will provide, like, that will make it very clear why Chuck hates X so much, so. Yes, and it is absolutely something that has been, like, brewing in the show from day one, I do think Maggie Siff and Damian Lewis have pretty amazing, so far, platonic chemistry, but, like, I could see that translating very well into something more. I want to see, like, Billions be back to its, like, fullest self and feel like it's firing on all cylinders, and I do think, you know, even if this season didn't necessarily—it was always delivered on the fun, but I think we're back to, like, worthy adversaries on both counts because I think it was very obvious that, like— this attorney general was not going to be around forever. Chuck's new serious girlfriend or Axe's new serious girlfriend was not going to be around forever. And it also clarifies like Wendy's place in the show a lot more to have her just be like firmly in Axe's camp. I never really bought Jack Jeffcoat as a worthy adversary because he, I don't know, he seemed too much like a caricature of, um, he, he reminded me of like John Goodman in the West Wing, like just sort of a caricature of a right-wing politician. I don't know. I'm I'm much more excited for for Axe vs. Chuck. Yeah, he's definitely got some serious Foghorn Leghorn vibes going on. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think it was, I think the idea was supposed to be that Chuck was motivated by the end of, or was so shocked by the end of his marriage that he chose to blame it on Axe, but that doesn't quite square, to me at least, with the idea that he'd mentally checked out of the marriage at least a few episodes ago and, like, made the act of choice to pursue his vendetta with Jock. But I suppose, like, that could also be very self-aware on the show's part and that the character is just projecting all his problems and, like, searching for somewhere to pool all his rage. I don't know. It seemed like it wouldn't have been that much extra work to come up with a slightly more convincing reason for him to be super mad at Axe, though. Yeah, this is true. Although Axe is, like, definitely deeply punchable, and I think we are in a position to not like him a lot, considering what he does to Rebecca Cantu this episode. So maybe it's just, like, we know, you know... I think the the default mode of billions is like hating to love and also loving to hate acts. So it's it's easy to like put yourself in in Chuck's mindset. Oh yeah, I mean this episode acts sort of morphed into a full-fledged sociopath, which was interesting to me. Like I think that they've usually allowed him like degree of tenderness in his personal relationships despite his ruthlessness um 
in his capacity as like this hedge fund honcho. And they collapsed that with the Cantu relationship. And it just became very clear that he valued uh, being like the domineering financed guy over this personal relationship and, and trying to make it work. And that close up of him in bed, like plotting, I don't, he, it was very villainous. I liked it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Damien Lewis does this thing where it almost seems like he's shrinking his already very small mouth <laughs> when he's mm-hmm. deep in plotting mode. And it's very disturbing. And I definitely thought we saw some of that. But this is probably a good segue into us talking about the most and least valuable players of this episode of Billions. So let's just start start with a high note. Let's go on the MVP. Kate, who is your most valuable player for this episode? So my most valuable player is the little American flag pin that was also a secret <laughs> recording device. Um, so Great reveal. Yes. Kate Sackler snuck the pin onto Connerty's jacket, uh, working on Chuck's behalf. And that's how they were able to uh, really get Connerty, like catch him red-handed because they had all this audio of him uh, breaking the law. And so, yeah, secret recording devices. Yeah, I don't think it was all that subtly foreshadowed in previous episodes that this uh, Hudson Yards-esque development scheme that Chuck Sr. was cooking up and Chuck was going along with was probably going to be an attempt to, you know, catch Connerty red-handed skirting prosecutorial conduct laws. Um, especially once, you know, he literally like broke into a safe with his own two hands. Just, you know, you don't really come back from that. And I do not think like the reveal of what was happening in the bigger picture was necessarily all that fun or surprising. It more felt like an inevitable, like, okay, we can finally put this subplot to bed. But I do agree that the American flag pin, like, you know, I did not see that specific tactic coming, and it was a really fun, goofy, unnecessarily Baroque maneuver that, you know, we love to see on this show. What is Billions if not unnecessarily Baroque? Yes, precisely. So um, I do agree with that pick. I'm excited to see things working on Chuck's favor. Also, if you do not read the New York Times recaps of Billions written by Sean T. Collins. I highly recommend them. They are very fun. But like the entire recap of last episode was just like, okay, so this is clearly a setup. So let's just theorize about how it's going to go. My pick is a little more serious, which is just compared to the rock bottom that we saw Chuck at both at the end of last season when he lost his public office as United States attorney and Brian Connerty was promoted in his stead. And also at the beginning of this season, which I'm sure you recall, he was literally like hucking a parking permit around town. It was just supremely undignified. So I would say Chuck has made out the best for himself. I think obviously he lost Wendy, but just he won the battle he's been waging this whole season against his former boss. And then he also just seems to be in a place of like self-knowledge. I guess that's kind of what we're supposed to get out of the bondage thing. Um, although clearly his 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 need to be hurt is only escalating from, you know, the the nipple pin that we saw earlier in the season. I think that Chuck definitely is in a much better place than he was last season premiere, but losing Wendy, I don't think that he cares as much as he would have previously because they did set up how he deprioritized her and sort of checked out of their marriage pretty well. But, you know, she 
Losing Wendy is a huge blow, and I think it's going to turn out to be disastrous for him down the line. So even though he he's doing pretty well in the short term, I think that the long-term effects of his of his choices uh, are going to not be as as positive as they seem right now. I agree. I just think it's not quite registering in the moment, or especially as much as you would think such a seismic shift in the status quo of what makes billions billions would. Mm -hmm. And also, it wasn't necessarily like Wendy choosing to leave him. It's almost like he psychologically left her first. And, you know— there was just so much buildup to this moment from, like, they put it in the previously on, the whole Axe knows the exact moment that he decided to commit to Wendy professionally and Chuck can't come up with the moment that he decided to commit to her romantically. It's just been so well established in the universe of this show that this marriage has been, like, drifting apart in addition to, like, the explosive, by the way, my wife dominates me in the privacy of our bedroom thing. Mm-hmm. I guess I was just so prepared for it that I wasn't shocked by it in the same way that I, you know, caught onto the triumph of finally getting the very odious and gross Jock Jeff coat out of my face. And also the very, like, Boy Scouty Brian Connerty. Connerty was my pick for the least valuable player um, this season because he really fucked up. I don't really understand what the show is going to do with him after this. I'm I'm curious if next season will have like a Connerty in prison storyline or if the character is getting phased out because it seems like he's going to jail. I don't know how he would get out of it. And yeah, I, I think he's definitely the LVP because I don't really see how the, the show has room for him anymore. I agree. I certainly think if he's not going to jail, he has at least lost his job, which is what makes him a person of interest in the world of billions. And, you know, it's just disappointing for him, I'm sure. But you really just see, like, all the things people have been saying about him and telling him to his face proven right. I mean, Chuck says you do not have that killer instinct that will let you win, you know, these big fights. And he goes to a performance coach who, you know, yells at him and tells him to break karate blocks while he's grooming a bonsai tree. And that doesn't help. And just... You know, we are told that this is a very earnest dude who is not prepared for the big leagues, even though he's forced there by his vendetta against Chuck. And once we that arc comes full circle and is proven so conclusively correct, I'm not really sure what the forward direction is, except, I mean, I guess maybe Sacker will take pity on him. I don't know if she still gets the civil rights division or if she's just going to work with Chuck. I But, yeah, I agree. There's not, like, a huge amount of forward momentum left for him. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the show will do with him next because I don't really see a way forward. But who knows? They could radically reinvent him. It is billions. Yes, I I will say that the actor, Toby Leonard Moore, who is Australian, did a delightful Grub Street diet a few weeks ago. If, If listeners would like to seek it out, we will locate it in the show notes. But just everyone who is associated with the show, as you can tell from like the many cameos that are given to celebrity chefs, seems to care very deeply about eating well. (laughs) And uh, he is no exception. So, you know, it's a good thing to remember him by if indeed we are going to be seeing less of him in the future. But my pick for LVP was just Axe because, as you said, he appears to go just like full Patrick Bateman sociopath. And 
much like Chuck, you know, admitting to himself that he cares more about waging war than marriage, maybe it's kind of good from, like, a self-awareness, self-actualization perspective. But with the exception, I feel like Wendy is the only relationship that he leaves stronger, and it also seems to be making him a little bit deluded. Like, he wants Taylor back inside of Axe Capital after everything they have done to each other over the course of this season, which is just like, Wendy's the head of HR for the company. Like, she knows that this is not going to lead to a functional, non-toxic workplace environment, you know? It's just, it seems like such a self-evidently, like, dumb move that is born of his conviction that he cannot be defeated in a way that makes me think that, you know, we're maybe being set up for a mighty fall next season. I I did think that it was very strange that he decided to hire Taylor back. I didn't find that to be a particularly convincing character move because it seems like he would just want them to suffer in obscurity. Like, the idea that he believes so much in Taylor that he's willing to overlook their treachery and bring them back into the fold. I don't know. I felt like it was just a reason. It's because Taylor is an important character and they needed to bring them back into a different scenario to keep them on the show. It didn't really ring true to me with Axe as a character, though. I mean, I could see it just in terms of his vindictive streak. Like, the ultimate humiliation is being forced to work for your enemy and seeing them every day. And I don't know, much like Chuck versus Axe not necessarily being fully justified, but also being really fun. Like, that shot at the end of Taylor and Lauren and Sarah and Mafi walking in and facing off against Bonnie and Dollar Bill and, like, poor sweet Ben Kim, like, not being able to resist, saying hi. Just, I I want to watch all those people interact again. That is very exciting to me. Um, I just think, like, from an Axe perspective, it does not necessarily seem like he's firing on all strategic cylinders because he's committed so hard to being this, like, rage monster that he can't, it's like the opposite of Rebecca. Like, Rebecca's too smart and conscientious and nice to, you know, see gutting sailors coming. And Axe is almost too ruthless to see how foolhardy it is to invite the fox into his hen house, you know? <laughs> I do like that his idea of uh, ultimate humiliation is giving someone an extremely well-paid job. <laughs> yes, true. Also, like, I'm not sure it was totally necessary to have all of them working out of the Axe Cap offices because when they're talking it through, they're like, okay, I'll be an independent shingle, which was already an offer on the table, although kind of in reverse. I think Taylor was making it to Axe earlier in the season. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. But I guess it's more fun for the show instead of having them sequestered in two separate offices. Yeah, it's also funny that, like, she, they were able to bring the entire staff of, of Taylor's Yes, which is literally, back. like, four people. Yeah, it's literally, like, those four. I forgot the quant guy whose name I will always forget, and I refuse to remember because he's extremely annoying. But, like, yes, I did love throughout the season, whenever you see a shot of Taylor Mason Capital's offices, there appear to be no one in it. And then, like, occasionally— there will be a more crowded group shot, but yeah, it's um, very dark. But yeah. before we talk more billions, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. 
Finding a new job is a lot of work. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job? Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can do that for you. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kind of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs you'll like and puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, you can apply. No wonder ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app. My listeners should download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. Speaking of dark, it is time for the most scarring moment, which we must highlight each and every week. I believe you kind of already brought yours up, but perhaps we can dwell on it further. Yeah, I didn't really understand why they they did this really long close shot closing in on X's face, and it was so close that you could see all of his pores and wrinkles. And I just thought it was unnecessary and rude to Damian Lewis. Like, like give him give, <laughs> step back a little bit. Exactly. I wanted to let it go. What you did by making that deal with Taylor. I wanted to think of it the way you said. Not as disloyal or an action against me, but as a practical solution to a problem that you, someone I loved, was faced with. And so that night I told you it was fine. I wanted it to be true. I laid there in bed next to you and I just tried to breathe out the bad, breathe in the good, but with each breath, Instead of peace, love, and understanding filling my lungs, the old bile was there. No one would look good with with a shot that close. Listen, he did not get all the Botox and skincare treatments that we demand all of our middle-aged actors of every gender get (laughs) to be subjected to this kind of treatment. Yeah, I didn't love that. What was yours? I mean, it's like... We start on a low note. We end on a low note. It's Chuck, like, fully strung up in the BDSM cage. Just like a a pig on a spit. It's just, you know, everyone is obviously free to do whatever they want in the confines of their own home. And I fully support Chuck, you know, getting to fulfill his (laughs) desires. But having to see it, much like having to watch his dad, you know, have weird romps with his baby mama is just like not how I would usually choose to spend my time except I love to watch billions so I'm curious about the the set for that shot like I wonder if they (laughs) if it's a real setup that they got from like I don't know if there's BDSM stores but you know what I mean like is that a real thing or did they make it? I'm- it almost, it feels so elaborate that I could definitely see them, like, upping the ante just for dramatic effect in the same way <laughs> that, you know, people on cooking shows just take, like, fistfuls of salt. And you're like, that's that would be inedible if I tried that in real life. It's just mm-hmm. very dramatic. But I don't know um, if you've watched Bonding on Netflix, but I guess there's just, like, a whole moment for Dominatrix TV right now. Yeah, if anyone uh, listening has any insights into whether the set is authentic or not, let me know. Yes, I think we're betraying our naivete a little <laughs> <I know>. bit, but <laughs> please feel free to enlighten us if that is something that you would care to do. We are, yes. much like Chuck and his dominatrix, we are very into enthusiastic consent here, so only <laughs> if you want to. 
But we should probably go on to picking nits because I know both of us had some some bones to pick with some plot developments. Yes. So I found the activity choice of Wendy and Rebecca for their ladies bonding day to be strange. So they go to this, ext- the extreme sandbox that gives the episode its title is this uh, like adult playground sort of thing where people can pay to use forklifts and like smash cars and stuff. And it looked cool, but I just didn't necessarily think that they would like to do that. I don't know. I I don't think that using a forklift is as fun as they made it out to be. I, I just thought it was weird. And then they go to a dive bar and it's implied that they've drank several draft beers, which I don't think either of them would do. And then they leave They buy them and then immediately set them down and leave. It just was a weirdly filmed scene to me that didn't feel very believable. I was like, these women would be drinking wine. They just would. Yes. You wouldn't drink out of a keg from a random place. You can get infections. That's another (laughs) thing where I was like, is this a real thing that people do? I mean, you wrote a great story for TheRinger.com about axe throwing, which is Mm -hmm. another one of those things that is like— I guess a real thing, but then every TV show on planet Earth was like, oh, it would be really fun to have, like, in the case of the good fight, Christine Baranski throwing an axe. And mm-hmm. so everyone got on that. And I was like, is this, like, a rich people or just, like, upper middle class people thing where you, like, pay to fuck up a car with an excavator? So, I mean, it, it was fun to watch them do that. But I did also think it was, like, an early uh-oh foreshadowing moment where— it was already established that Axe is probably about to screw Rebecca over because we had that line that Victor gave about Sailor's toxic debt. But then at the end of last episode, he also just like ignored Wendy and pawned her off on Wags. And so when he's like, why don't you guys have like a girl's day? And I was like, what are you going to do when you get these two, you know, voices of reason out of your face for a day? Like it just felt like he was kind of getting them sequestered away so he could do evil in their absence, which basically is what happened. So it is. And so I looked up. So Extreme Sandbox is a real thing. Like it's a real company, but they only have they have two locations and it's in Hastings, Minnesota and or Pottsboro, Texas. So I think that's why it was implied that they were riding a helicopter but they, is, like, Minnesota, also, New York feels like long for a chopper that's ride. That's super long for a chopper ride. Like, it does not make <laughs> sense. Maybe they went into Chicago and then transferred to <laughs> Axis Private Jet. They must have. But, like, that again, that's, like, a lot of effort to put in to do something that, I don't know, just didn't really seem like a thing that these women would really, really want to do. Like, I don't know. They yeah. could have gone axe throwing. That would have been more realistic. I don't know. But. It does really fit with like the whole billions fantasy of like everyone's dream girl is actually just like one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Drinking so, the draft beer. Yeah. Like, you know, Rebecca said, you know, saying previously, like, kiss my ass. You know, I don't fuck with gluten free, being like, I'm not gonna go to the spa. Like, I think that's really fun, but maybe pushing the limits of plausibility slightly. Yeah, I do kind of want to go to the extreme sandbox, though, now that I know that it's real. Um, Yes. The next time you're back in the Midwest, you should just, like, hop over to Minnesota. (laughs) In my head, all of the Midwest is just a single metro area. It's probably really expensive. Yeah, that was, like, my other question was, like, exactly how unattainable is this? But I don't know. Anyway, my nitpick was just the final Taylor Axe 
confrontation or conclusion is set up by Taylor being like, okay, I'm actually going to step away from this feud and like fully commit to just making my firm the best it can be, which is rational. But I thought that was kind of what they already did earlier in the season. And they tried to be like, I'm not really interested in fighting this fight. Like, can't we just get along? And Axe just refused. And I thought it was already established that Taylor isn't really a jingoistic personality, but they realized that Axe won't give up so that they had to commit to the fight. And it just felt like they wanted to set up Axe's decisive victory in a way that made this character kind of forget what already happened to them in a way that I was a little like, wait, what? Yeah, I feel like that might change next season. I don't know how Taylor being sort of passive like passively watching two men destroy each other would work out in a narrative. So I think that they are going to end up defecting or changing their stance in some way. Well, they also announced their intention. They verbally agree to Chuck's proposition to kind of be a mole in Axe Capital. But then they say privately, I want to just play them off each other and watch them, you know, destroy each other and then I'll be the last person left standing. So that's promising. Although it also occurs to me that we never really got a definitive resolution to the whole Lauren Taylor Sarah love triangle, so maybe that's another loose end that we can check in on in the future. I don't know. Uh yeah, definitely. I think I think that there's going to be some sort of drama in inside Taylor's camp. Yes. Um, I mean, well this is bringing us into our predictions for next season of which we are supplied with a lot of material to start reading some tea leaves in this in this episode so we can just get a head start before season five comes our way next year. Yeah, I felt like this episode was really all about setting up all these fu- interesting future conflicts and also setting up Wendy and Axe finally hooking up. For yes, I know sure. this is very big for you. I, <laughs> My personal prediction is we have this, like, very loaded Wendy leaves Chuck, shows up on Axe's doorstep, and is like, I don't want to go to a hotel, and I don't want to go home. And he's like, okay. So she gets set up in the spare bedroom. He's kind of like, this is a mess, and, like, the kids' room is weird, and all the other bedrooms are stuffed with this art that I refuse to pay taxes on or display anywhere or share with the public because I suck. Um, and there's kind of a weighted, like, maybe she'll sleep with Axe moment. And then the moment kind of passes and we just see her in the office the next day. And my minor note prediction was just we're going to have one of those classic billions flashbacks where something is filled in for us retroactively. We got a lot of those this episode. But I think we're going to find out that Wendy and Axe actually did happen. And they're maybe just, like, awkwardly going to navigate. Because I don't think it's going to go full bore into Wendy and X being together, I think maybe it's going to be like they realize they're attracted to each other and they like need to figure out how to square that with working together. But that that was my like minor prediction for next season in terms of like how Wendy and X is ex- exactly going to play out. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense because uh, I, I feel like when they they showed her the morning after, I don't know, she just seemed like a woman who, who might have had some romance the night before. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you were reading her facial expression. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, actually that scene when they were 
when Wendy showed up at Axe's house was one of my favorites in the episode because I thought it was really funny that they were both like, what do we do when the bed sheets weren't changed? And it took them a moment to realize that they could just change them themselves. It was a nice reminder of how uh, Also, that strange- bed is literally what my bed looks like every day, including right now. <laughs> and they were like, this is not even fit for a human to set foot in. And I was like, I feel very attacked. I was confused when he said that the kids' beds were small because they're not that little of kids. Wouldn't they just be like a twin bed? Couldn't she sleep in a twin bed for a night? I don't think Wendy Rhodes is down to sleep in a twin bed. (laughs) I can't really see that happening for her. I'm actually surprised that the kids that rich would have little. I'm like, why are their beds little? They're not. They're like 10 years old. Like when I was, I remember those beds that little kids have, but I thought that that was for like, a five-year-old. Anyways. I mean, I just think the Axelrod children are whatever age, shape, and size the writers would like them to be because they don't functionally exist at this point, so. Yeah, and same with the the Rhodes kids. Like, when was the last time we saw them? I don't know, but maybe we're, we're going to get some spicy post-divorce <laughs> check-ins with the acting out Rhodes children. Who knows? Um, one larger prediction I did have was just a lot of this season was really thinning out the pack of antagonists. And obviously there's more than enough internecine conflict to drive a whole new season, like Chuck versus Axe, Taylor versus both of them, the whole aftermath of the Wendy-Chuck-Axe divorce slash possible hookup. But like Billions basically requires an unlimited amount of plot. And I feel like there's a really promising opening for them to come up with some new nemesis for either or both Chuck and Axe or maybe Wendy maybe she'll get an arch nemesis this time but like I'm just excited to see what they come up with because there's a very obvious vacuum in the middle of the show now so that's like what I'm looking forward to at least oh I would love to see Wendy with an arch nemesis I know who do we think Wendy's arch nemesis would be I feel like it's too simple to have him be like another woman no maybe another performance coach Yeah, but, like, Dr. Gus doesn't deserve it. Like, he's, you know, he's not fit to lick the dirt off Wendy's boots. (laughs) No, maybe, like, a foreign, like, the British Wendy, whoever that might be, or something like that. Oh, that would be so fun. Oh, I feel like the UK is, like, such a huge finance hub, and we don't have a lot of British people on Billions, so maybe that'll be. Or, like, Singapore, like, that's a big finance hub, too. I'd like to see Singapore's Wendy. Yeah, Hong Kong. I just feel like... Billions International would be really fun. Like, I don't know quite what budget they're working with there, but, like, if they wanted to do a stunt episode somewhere else, that would be really cool. It's actually surprising to me that they haven't because people that rich are are globetrotting a lot more than I feel is portrayed on the show. Yes. I do think they do, like, a really admirable job of making them convincingly super wealthy, even though TV shows, like, naturally have limited budgets. There was that great a feature in the New York Times a while ago that we also discussed in the show that talked about how Succession and Billions, like, make that work. But I guess that is, like, an an obvious gap that they could maybe fix. I mean, Succession went to the UK in its first season, so. I did really want to touch Axe's cashmere hoodie in this episode. Like, it looked so soft. So they're still killing it in the wardrobe (laughs) department. I know. Don't we always... I would love nothing more than an unlimited supply of hoodies and Henleys to <laughs> run my fingers through all day. But, you know, this is a, a podcast about billions, which means that we can't get out of it without talking about quotes. This was not—I thought last episode was super quotable, and this episode 
had so much like serious speechifying that there wasn't quite as much room for like zingy stuff. But there was some. I actually thought that the funniest little snippet was Chuck's angry monologue in Italian, but I couldn't write it down because I just, you know, I don't know Italian. My, uh, my mother's father was from Italy. as a Roman, you know, and he taught me that when someone talks to you as though you are of no consequence, you have two choices. The first is to wilt away. And the second is to get right in their face and tell them, Se fuori come un pacone figlio di buona donna, ti venisse un colpo a te e a tutta la palazzina tua. Ma guardate che se burrino, cazze, bubolo, bacce, palle, non ti vogliono manco le canne. Se così stanno, eh, se che pesti una merda, fai scoppa. L'immortacce tua. I mean, as Jock said, we certainly got the gist. And then there's the final like flicking hand out from under chin, which I know means basically the finger in Italian body language. So, but it it just goes on for so long. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was just going to be like a phrase or two and he just like full, like commits to it. And you can tell Jamadi is like really into it. And obviously he has like real Italian American heritage, but yeah, just wildly impressive showing on everyone's part. I thought that must have been really fun for him to to act out. I would love to know what he said if there is a translation available soon. I I was also curious whether Paul Giamatti knows Italian or whether he just Yeah, was... I mean, to this non-speaker it was very convincing, but mm-hmm. I'm also very open to someone who actually knows Italian telling us that his accent is trash or that he was great. Again, we're open to all possibilities. Yeah, and then the other quote that I really liked. As much as I wasn't crazy about Jack as a character, I did like his down-home little turns of phrase. And at one point he says, loud as a cow trying to push out breech twins, which I thought was pretty memorable. Yes. I also did like that Chuck, you know, brought up the fact that, you know, you love to bring up the fact that you're also an elite when it suits you, but you also love to just draw on your parents' and grandparents' backgrounds when it suits you as well and like neither is particularly ingenuous and so cut the bullshit I enjoyed that I also think it was I think a show that like clearly loves New York so much and is so filled with like local texture really enjoyed dunking on someone who is so disdainful of that fair metropolis so I I did enjoy that Chuck or that Jock got a send-off but you know really got his due there at least yeah, it was it was great. Um, what were your favorite quotes? I didn't really write anything down apart from what uh you offered because again, it was not the most like one-linery of episodes again. But while we're here, I would like to highlight that Mark Cuban did come back for a single scene and his acting has not improved, even though he is remains clearly very uh happy and psyched to be on camera. So <laughs> while we're revisiting small moments, we always love a billions, like, forced cameo that is clearly not by a professional actor. I honestly forgot that that happened. I mean, it's very quick. I guess, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe Mark Cuban is, like, an investor in Extreme Sandbox who wants to take it wide. Who knows? Oh, he might be because Extreme Sandbox... um, Wait, is Mark Cuban a, a Shark Tank guy? Yes. It's a Shark Tank thing. 
Oh, okay. We're learning new yeah. things all the time. Clearly, <laughs> I did so much research before recording this podcast. Well, I researched Extreme Sandbox because I was very intrigued, yes. but I don't really Thank you. regularly— Yes, you are doing the Lord's work. For those listening at home, some behind the scenes, we are recording this on Friday morning at 10 a.m., so I'm not quite at my sharpest at this time in the day or week. But thank you guys so much for bearing with us and for keeping track of this really fun, exciting season of a very fun and exciting show. We'll be talking about more of The Ringer's favorite TV shows on The Recapables feed in the future, so please keep an eye out. But Again, thank you so much for listening. We had so much fun talking about Billions. We hope you did as well. And goodbye for now. <laughs>